Coming up on This Week in Games, Epic makes big waves as it moves into publishing. GameStop continues massive decline in sales, and Stadia reaches out to the indie community for content. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and I am entering my third week of shelter in place in San Francisco in my, I guess, increasingly boring, tiny apartment. For me, it's actually going into my fourth week because I was sick the week before the official shelter in place, and 500 square feet can only be so interesting. But I'm here to bring you this week in games. However bored I may be, the game industry continues to be an industry to thrive in a time when residents all over the world are told to stay inside. So let's kick it off. Epic announces a new publishing label, Epic Games Publishing, and signs three big independent studios. Epic Game, Epic Game Publishing is the new label by game developer, engine developer, and digital platform owner Epic. Epic released their publishing terms definitely as kind of like a slight against other big publishers and is an advertisement for why you should work with them, which are the developer will retain full creative ownership, owns 100% of the IP rights and total creative control, offers up to 100% of development costs to the developer, and splits profits 50-50 once its costs are recouped. Very attractive. Very attractive indeed. So to me, like the IP ownership up to 100% of the IP ownership uh, coupled with 100% funding is the most important thing for studio owners and investors. So the IP and ownership of a game is generally more valuable than the actual revenue of the game, whether it be the characters or world settings or the recurring revenue that a game provides. So for example, the world of Halo is probably more valuable than whatever Halo 6 will sell. And the recurring revenue from Candy Crush Saga is more attractive than what the net profits are on that revenue for like a given year or two if Candy Crush Saga decided this when they sold to like Activision, for example. So, um, you know, studio acquisitions are basically how a studio founder makes hundreds of millions of dollars in an exit. Otherwise, the owner has to pay themselves like hefty bonuses out of the profits, which are frowned upon by the other investors in the company and the employees. Taking none of the development risk, but owning all the upside of an exit is like super attractive. So those are great terms. Epic has signed three big studios right out the gate. Big guns, um, Remedy Entertainment, Play Dead, and Gen Design. So Remedy Entertainment um, has a few notches under its belt. It's known for the uh the walking simulator to inspire all walking no it's known for alan wake and most recently award-winning across all award shows control play dead is known for indie hits limbo and inside and Jin design is fumito ueda's studio and he is known of Ico shadow of the colossus and the last guardian fame so Jin design hasn't released a game but epic will be publishing their first game i'm assuming all games published by epic will be Likely exclusive to the Epic Game Store, but console releases may not be out of the question. It all depends on whether Epic values like exclusivity of services and engine and game stores and platforms versus actually, you know, just maximizing profits from the sales of games they publish. At this point, Epic might as well be named the Microsoft of the game industry. They vertically integrate it into every touch point of a game's development to release a distribution to live services. Very impressed with Epic. Um, 
they've honestly put their money with their mouth with. They talk crap about Apple with iOS Store and Google with Google Play and taking 30% of the transactions while providing like not really 30% worth of services. They've talked about Steam. They, you know, they've released competitors to all of these. And now they're going after publishers with unfair publishing deals. So can't applaud Epic more. Um, God, they're really just vertically like hitting everything. Pretty impressive. All right, not impressive. <laughs> Let's turn it over to GameStop continues to be in the news as it reports Q4 profits despite revenue slips and also reportedly closed 333 stores in 2019 and more closures likely to come. So fourth quarter net income was down 28% and the full fiscal year of 2019's revenue was down 22%. That's that's very massive. Um, with game and hardware sales continuing to decline, collectibles and toys now represented 11% of GameStop's total sales. Uh, I think when I started this podcast like two years ago, I predicted this like GameStop. Obviously, they're going to sell more Funko Pop heads than they are going to be, uh, you know, box games, right? In 2018, GameStop sold Spring Mobile for $700 million and put the money towards paying down an excessive debt of $400 million but also issuing the ever frowned upon stock buybacks to the tune of 200 million. So what I'm basically saying is like stock buybacks, GameStop not looking good. Uh, their war chest is tiny. And then they decide to spend 200 million on buying back stock. Stock buybacks almost only help board members, large investors, and C-suite own more money for the shares that they hold at the cost of the company and employees. And I'm surprised that they honestly did that. Like, uh, there's nothing that stock buybacks help, really. People can argue, like, maybe it helps future fundraising, but I don't know. It doesn't really help anything but helps investors, you know, exit with more money. Might as well just given, like, investors and board members $200 million. In 2019, GameStop closed 333 stores, but still remains operating over 5,000 locations globally. GameStop is optimistic about its operation during the global pandemic, stating that while stores are closed, sales are up 2% year over year in March. Yeah, that's probably not gonna hold. I can't imagine April will see the same lift as March, as March had players running out to grab the latest Animal Crossing and Dune offerings before the shelter in place or whatever kind of like residential shutdown was imposed upon them. GameStop's death march in the declining sales, yet still holding on to the current strategy is honestly mind-blowing at this point. You would think by Q2 2020, we'd see a major pivot into what GameStop stores mean and offer. Instead, they like stand by this physical retail, physical game sales strategy. You know, despite cloud gaming and new consoles with giant SSDs coming, like <laughs> this is literally coming at the end of the year, and GameStop will sell a bunch of hardware. But then that's it. Like, I mean, I can't imagine PlayStation 5 being heavy in physical disc. Like, why even bother? You can download, you know, full games in a matter of less time than it takes you to drive to GameStop. And, uh, yeah, it's faster because you have it all locally on your actual physical device. You're not loading anything from a disc. GameStop promised covering employee salaries for two weeks of the shutdown, which is nice, but more and more states are moving to three and four week shelter in places. GameStop can expect to move lose more and more employees. The whole thing is just not looking good. Like you can't have sales declining uh, by a quarter year over year and you know continue to do this as your stock continues to drop and then now you're gonna lose employees. 
you know, we could see probably maybe a thousand GameStops closed down by the time the new consoles are released. Maybe their whole plan is to float till the consoles. I don't know. It's it's just a mess to see this company with all the writings on the wall of like what the future is. And they refuse to pivot and they refuse to like kind of accommodate for what the game industry has become with esports. And they could become that local, like, uh, you know, the equivalent of like the local pub for like people after work, but the local pub for like game and nerd pop culture and like local events and so on. Partner up with like maybe like Fortnite or, you know, uh, Hearthstone and a bunch of companies that have local events. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff they could do. It's just it's just amazing. It's truly amazing to see GameStop at this point. But further news, Google Stadia launches Stadia Makers, a program aimed at getting indies and new developers onto the platform. So in an effort to boost interest and introduce self-publishing, Google has announced a makers program for Stadia for experienced developers, requirements to be accepted in Stadium Makers, uh, user version Unity 2019.3 or later, plans to release this year or next year, and Stadia must be a day one launch platform, but exclusivity on Stadia is not required. Google is offering makers up to five physical development kits. I didn't even know they had development kits for a cloud gaming <laughs> platform. Um, some amount of funding which likely will be independently determined per studio and game that's being offered and capped probably in the hundreds of thousands range and technically help for problems from Google's G-Tech team that serves as uh, technology consultants within Google. After the Makers program announced, Google stated that they have received far more developer applications than they anticipated and simply can't work with all the interested parties. Now asking for developers that can specifically utilize Google Cloud's gaming services for their games. It's pretty interesting. Um, I guess <laughs> you got to give it to Google. They're finally starting to vertically I guess, integrate all their services across the hundreds of thousands of employees like a Microsoft would. Um, you know, honestly, when you look at these things and you look at the interests, this is likely to draw interest from financially insecure developers, not developers that are particularly interested in Stadia or Google Cloud. I experienced this when I worked on the Google Assistant, where much of the interest for the developer platform was around securing funds from Google in exchange of being on the platform, not utilizing like unique platform technology or voice input and voice output. That being said, this is a step in the right direction from Google. They're likely to unable to secure major AAA publishers or studios or developers at this point, other than games that are already cross-platform, especially on PC, and be super easy to port to Stadia, so... They might as well do it anyways. Now they have a chance at securing like kind of like the next Minecraft in both Stadia and Google Cloud. And although it won't be exclusive to Stadia, Google can start like infiltrating their services and building up a relationship with like upcoming indies and maybe even inject cash into the companies directly so they own a piece of it. Probably a good move for Google. Like, I, I mean, where else do you go with Stadia at this point? It's going to take you too long and you're not the right company uh, mindset or formation to crank out hit games that take unique advantage of your technology. You're also not going to pay out. It doesn't look like they're ever going to pay out of pocket for AAA exclusivity like you normally would if you were, you know, you really wanted to make a traditional new game console. So this is it. Like go grassroots, start funding, littering like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars everywhere and start funding people and try to like stadia will never be the money maker for a lot of these games but try to be like 
um, vertically integrate it in their services, try to develop a relationship, try to maybe be a part of their next fundraising round, things like that. I could see Google, you know, really like carving out a place for Stadia like that, but just sucks because like the advertisement from like the dream that they sold when they first announced from you watching YouTube, there's a 15 second video in front of whatever YouTube video you want to watch. You click it and immediately are playing a video game like Assassin's Creed right then and there on a new browser tab, no loading, no nothing. Like that was the dream. And that's really targeted towards a specific company and a specific audience. And that's not who you're going to pull in with this. So now they have to like, you know, rewire the dream around like grassroots and smaller games. So let's see what happens. All right, more news, more cloud gaming news. Tencent and Huawei are rumored to be creating a joint mobile cloud gaming platform. So the South China Morning Post reported that the software giant and hardware giant have created a joint R&D lab to explore cloud streaming, artificial intelligence, and VR AR. Tencent further explained that the lab will focus on turning its current Game Matrix cloud gaming platform into an industry-leading low-cost solution while developing new chips specifically for serving the platform with Huawei. Tencent has their hands in, I guess, every gaming corner in the globe at this point, and Huawei is now the second largest mobile phone manufacturer in the world. Working together, honestly, I could foreseeably see them creating a low-cost, high-performing game cloud gaming platform. However, I just don't see mobile as the spot for cloud gaming at this point. Uh, maybe in the future, maybe... Maybe in China things are different. I The connection isn't consistent enough for cloud gaming. And most of the games you want to play on mobile are such like small commodity games that you might as well just download them and play them locally. Like any beefy graphics game, it just doesn't look as great on that small screen in your hands where your thumbs are going to cover up part of the screen anyway. So I don't know. Cloud gaming on mobile, maybe not the best thing, but interesting nonetheless. And once you develop cloud gaming... Um, I'm sure the technology isn't that hard to adapt it to PC, televisions, pretty much everything. Next up, Wargaming.net files a lawsuit over the trademark Blitz. Uh, this is this is sad, honestly. Wargaming has filed a lawsuit to the U.S. District Court in Los Angeles over a Belarus mobile developer Blitz team's trademark application. So the World of Tanks company released a statement, quote, Horror Gaming contends that the defendant's selection of the name Blitz was made deliberately in bad faith and for the sole purpose of taking unfair advantage of the reputation and goodwill of War Gaming's well-known Blitz trademark, end quote. Blitz team was founded in 2018 by former War Gaming employees, so there might be some merit to that. This is the second time War Gaming has gone after Blitz team. The first time was claims that they uploaded proprietary code to GitHub. That's not good. Um, honestly, though, when you read the whole lawsuit, the TLDR, it looks pretty petty by Wargaming. Like, it, it reads like some star people formed their own company and left Wargaming. And because they didn't want to work with you, you get pissed off and you just keep going after them over and over and over again. Including this claiming that Blitz as a name puts Wargaming as a disadvantage. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Why don't you focus on making another hit game instead of this petty stuff? Like... You had World of Ships, World of Planes, World of Tanks, and I don't know. I haven't heard anything else out of you, uh, and now you're, like, trying to start this Blitz team. I mean, I don't know. It, it it doesn't look good when you go after small teams that form from members of your studio, and the name Blitz doesn't matter, right? Like, how many games add Blitz to the end of theirs? Like, 
could NFL Blitz come after Wargaming and be like, oh, you unfairly took advantage of NFL Blitz? You know, it's just, where does this end? Are you really hurt? Probably not. Is Blitz team even making something groundbreaking that's going to, like, just destroy you? Probably not. Like, what are you doing? It, It seems like a giant waste of time, and it seems very petty from someone outside reading in based on all the articles I read about this. Weird, weird. Um, and some sad news. Uh, Gearbox Software's co-founder, Landon Montgomery, has passed away. So Gamma Suture is reporting that the co-founder of Gearbox Software passed away this Thursday. He's one of the five founding members of Gearbox Montgomery. Has surely left his mark on the game industry. And, you know, it's just sad to see, like, important people pass away in our industry. All right business news. So due to COVID-19 global pandemic, you can imagine fundraising, mergers and acquisitions and other businesses will be severely limited. (laughs) But we have two stories to share this week. First up, Big Run Studios raises 1.4 million in a seed round. So Blackout Blitz developer Big Run Studios raised an impressive seed round with hopes to serve, quote, traditionally underserved audiences. This round was led by Galaxy EOS VC Fund, the investment fund of Galaxy Interactive. They're a part of this giant conglomerate that owns tons of stuff. You can go look it up online. At the moment, though, Big Run Studios develops kind of like commodity, hyper-casual games, but the Blackout, Solitaire, and Hearts offering, not exactly what I'd call underserved audiences at the moment. Maybe those are just test runs. We'll keep an eye out and see what Blitz Run or Big Run Studios does in the future. And next up, this one's weird. Uh, <laughs> Tribe Gaming a mobile esports team raises $1 million in a seed round. So Tribe is a rare mobile gaming esports team with competitive teams in Clash Royale, Clash of Clans, Brawl Stars, PUBG Mobile, and Call of Duty Mobile, and a roster of, I guess, streamers and content creators for mobile games as well. Four individual participants were included in the seed round, an NBA player, a WWE superstar, Serial Angel Investor, and Super Evil Megacorp CEO. Yeah, I don't know. I already have trouble with some of these regular esports teams, especially the smaller ones that do more niche stuff uh, about how much they're fundraising and what really are their revenue flows. Like, what are they making money off of besides the obvious, like, jerseys and ads off of content created by their personalities? I really have a hard time, like, understanding the mobile esports scene and it kind of brings an entirely new level of like, what? What's going on? Question mark. Anecdotally, when I turn on Twitch, I rarely, very rarely see mobile tournaments. Maybe like three years ago, you would see Vanglory tournaments. I have seen some Clash Royale tournaments, but not the most exciting thing because, you know, again, the exciting moments and the strategies between players aren't crazy. Clash of Clans, I can't even imagine what a Clash of Clans esport event looks like and brawl stars is also to me like why would someone watch a brawl spar brawl stars esport tournament when they're just more compelling console and pc content you know that lives in the same space as that and then the last two i i just can't even imagine what the esports scene looks like for pubg mobile call of duty mobile because call of duty has activision pouring you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in their Call of Duty League. And PUBG's has Bluehole also doing the same with, like, PUBG Esports and, like, integrating that, I think, into ESL and other bigger uh, esports events. So 
where does mobile esports live? I don't know. And I don't really know if these games are just compelling enough. And it kind of is just an attitude of the platform because mobile games really like live best at like, you know, and especially these three offerings from Supercell prove this at like two minute interaction time. So it takes you like two to two and a half minutes to play a Clash Royale game, to play a Clash of Clans attack, uh, to play a game of Brawl Stars. And they want to keep those loops that way. And they also don't want to make it like crazy, crazy complicated. And so because of how the platform's audience demands, you know, games be made, it in turn makes it very hard to make compelling esports scenes. Like let's ignore the graphics and the fact that a lot of these are played in portrait um, or landscape, which aren't going to translate as well to a television the games themselves just aren't meant to be played on an esports level. So this whole thing is weird, but I'm curious. I'm curious, like, what what would a mobile esports competition look like that would be compelling? How much money is there in Clash? I imagine Clash Royale is the biggest of these five. How much money is there in, like, Clash Royale tournaments? I'm pretty curious in all of this, but, man, that's rough. $1 million, let's see what, <laughs> let's see what happens. I could see the content creators you know that's where the money is you start up brawl stars you play for like a few days you t go into youtube and you go in like what's the best character in brawl stars what how do i do x y and z in here and you know there's probably a lot of money in that so we'll have to see how tribe gaming turns out maybe all my shit talking will get blown up in my face like it has before on this podcast but let's check it out all right we made it through um you know, we have a, probably many more weeks of, uh, you know, the game industry just kicking butt, but silently kicking butt, and deals and news will probably slowly trickle through. But, um, yeah, not going to be major uh, moves and shakes, maybe some big game launches that I can talk about revenue from. But that's it. If you want to, if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a comment. Let me know how I'm doing. You can email me at eric at thisweekingames.com. That's E-R-I-C. If you have any comments, suggestions on future stories. All right, that's it. I'm Eric McConnell. That's it for This Week in Games. See you guys next week. And stay safe out there. Bye.